from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy to be here with you this Friday evening. If you want to give us a call, the number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, Speaker Johnson has kept his word on one of his promises from his campaign for Speaker of the House, where he said he would release the footage for the January 6th, um, what, what do we call it, riot? craziness, whatever you want to call it, uh, that that was released today. And um, good for him. I'm glad he did it because there's a lot of people that want to see that stuff. And let me see where this story is. I can share a little bit with it. Here we go. Watch this. So let's see. The January 6th tapes. Yada-da-da-da. Massive cache of surveillance video. I'm hoping to see a video. I haven't seen one yet. Um, you can see some elected officials shuffling through the halls, and they're not necessarily sprinting. They're escorted by armed guards, par for the course. A ton of conservative personalities are latching onto this as evidence. January 6th wasn't actually an insurrection, but rather a peaceful protest blown out of proportion. Well, I tend to believe that. I think there was a, a, a riot. Uh, you know, a real insurrection, an insurrection, I think by definition, is typically uh, an, an armed, a hostile takeover of a government. And they didn't take over anything. You know, if the goal was to stop the counting of the electoral votes, that didn't happen. Biden's in office. So it's not like uh, they were able to take control of the Capitol and then calm everything down. They, they, they were like, hey, get out. And the guys got out. It really wasn't as serious as they made it to be. But maybe I'm, I'm just downplaying it. I realize that, you know, a number of people... Um, view this differently than I do. But what are you going to do? Anyway, my computer just froze. Anyway, there's uh, there's more on the um, the 69-year-old man that was killed in at a protest, right? He was leading a protest, and uh, lamentably he was uh, struck in the head and then hit the floor, and then his head broke, and, and he died. And I hate to, to, to put that as bluntly as I did, but that is in reality what happened. And it's a shame, but there was a, a criminal charge brought today on with respect to that. Let me see. What number is that one, Mr. Hinton? Here we go. 21 and 22. <clears throat> okay, so we've got the Ventura County Sheriff announcing the arrest today of Loe Abdel Fattah Al-Naji. He was charged with involuntary manslaughter and serious bodily injury in the death of the protester. His name is Paul Kassler, 69-year-old uh, uh, Jewish man that was uh, protesting for Israel and, uh, you know, got knocked out and hit the floor and was killed. And it's absolutely horrible. And we have a clip of that. Uh, I want you to listen to this. Mr. Loai Alaji was arrested without incident yesterday morning at 7.04 a.m. at his residence in the city of Moorpark. 
He was booked in the pretrial detention facility on one count of involuntary manslaughter, an unlawful act. During the investigation thus far, we have in interviewed over 60 witnesses and over overseen 600 pieces of evidence to be reviewed and examined. This includes numerous electronic devices which contain numerous hours of video. In total, our agency has committed well over 2,000 hours in this investigation since November 5th. Now, in addition to the 2,000 hours of investigation, there were 600 pieces of evidence, and they spoke with 60 witnesses before charging this college professor with two felonies for allegedly causing fatal injuries to this Jewish protester, uh, Mr. Kassler, during a um, pro-Israel rally that happened uh, alongside a, a pro-Hamas rally uh, earlier this month in California. Now, the Ventura District uh, District attorney for the county of Ventura, Eric Nazarenko, he said on Friday that the investigation led to the death of Paul Kessler, 69 years old, and it was complicated and ultimately led to felony charges of involuntary manslaughter and battery causing serious bodily injury against uh, Loai Abdel Fattah Al-Naji, a 50-year-old Moore Park College uh, computer science professor. <clears throat> So, you know, when we talk about it happens in the colleges, that's where they get radicalized. Well, how about this, right? You have a literal college professor killing a counter-protester. I mean, I don't think I've ever read that story before, right? Uh, th this is what's happening in our day and age today. And it's, it's a shame. But the DA went on to say that our task was to search for the truth and to achieve clarity in the case. And that's what they've done. This was not an easy undertaking, he said, given the disparate, often conflicting interpretations and statements and also the fragmented nature of the evidence. So both of these felony charges include um, special allegations. Well, we actually have a cut from the sheriff on this. Listen to this. We have charged the defendant, Lo I on the G, with two felony counts, the first of which involuntary manslaughter, a felony. The second count, battery causing serious bodily injury, also a felony. Accompanying each of these felony counts is a special allegation that in the commission of those crimes, the defendant personally inflicted great bodily injury upon Paul Kessler. So now both of these uh, felony charges have an enhancement that he personally inflicted great bodily injury that makes Mr. Al-Naji eligible for prison under California's three strikes law. That's according to D.A. Nasarenko, which you just heard. He said that investigators had gathered video and digital footage to establish a clear sequence of events leading up to the confrontation between each of these men and added that investigators are also determined that there was no intent to commit a, a killing by the suspect. Investigators have not yet met the legal threshold to determine whether a hate crime had been committed, but that was still being investigated. And uh, I guess this is a start. Um, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. Just imagine anybody in your family that's 69 years old that says, you know what, I'm going to go to a protest. And I got, listen. I've been to some protests. I'm not a big protest guy, but if somebody told me, oh, I'm going to the protest, I'm going to a rally, uh, never in a million years do I think they're coming back dead, right? Like Biden said, they woke up dead. Uh, I, I don't mean to make light of this in any way. I'm just making fun of Biden. But 
I wouldn't uh, suspect that. I wouldn't think that, you know, somebody in their late 60s, early 70s goes to a, a rally and is going to lose their life just for some free speech activity. It's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And worse to think that this happened at the hands of a college professor. And it really makes you question, what is going on in college? <laughs> Why are these people so radical? Anyway, uh, we're going to jump into a bunch of things with... Uh, my buddy, Professor Nick Giordano, he's coming up next. He's a professor himself of political science at Suffolk County Community College in New York. He's the host of the PAS Report, and he's also a, a senior education fellow with Campus Reform. We're going to talk about what's going on in these college campuses and all, all the crazy that we're seeing emerge from there. Plus, a little bit after that, we're going to talk about what's going on with immigration and the attack on police, especially in New York City, as cops are under attack. I think I mentioned a little bit yesterday that I was at uh, my brother's wake yesterday and uh, talking to some NYPD guys, and they, they're telling me they, they're dealing with stuff they've never dealt with before. So we're going to get to that as well. And um, a little bit on the economy and which is the best state to live in. Uh, all of that is straight ahead to come with me. I'm with you till 1 a.m. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. The phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We're on with Professor Nick Giordano, professor of political science at Suffolk County Community College in New York. He's also the host of the PAS Report podcast and the higher education fellow at Campus Reform. And I'm looking at a headline in Fox News. It says, groups fear faculty that defended Hamas could set California standards which would equal the institutionalization of anti-Semitism. Nick Giordano, welcome, sir. Thank you, Rich. How are you tonight? I'm doing fantastic. It's Friday. I let my hair down, you know? <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> so um, you and me both, right? Uh, I just uh, <laughs> t talked about in the prior segment. Really, it, and it's crazy. You know, I, I think in this business, it's hard to to be shocked, oftentimes disappointed, but not shocked. But... I do find it very, very uh, disappointing that this, um, this you know, obviously a few weeks ago, this man was killed, this Paul Kessler, 69 years old, for having a counter-protest alongside a, a, a pro-Hamas uh, protest. And he was, you know, beat up and, and hit the pa pavement, head broke and whatever, and, and he's dead now. And they charged this guy with uh, manslaughter, uh, Mr. Al-Naji, and he happens to be a professor like you. And I'm thinking, you know, all we do every day is talk about the indoctrination that we hear about in college campuses and yada, yada, yada. And now we're seeing it's turned violent, right? These people, professors are now killing people. And I find it very disappointing, um, even a bit surprising. What say you? Well, it's a disgrace to my profession. I mean, when we look at the way the education system has been functioning, it's essentially collapsed. And unfortunately, you now have an entire generation of students that are going out there and they're celebrating Hamas. The, these pro-Hamas protests, they're using the hang gliders as symbols. They're, they're saying to the river, to the sea. And when you examine, well, where did this all start? Well, it, it 
because of professors like this. And unfortunately, you haven't seen much pushback until now. I think that finally people are waking up to how bad it's gotten, even though you and I have spoken on this topic many of times. But it's not just at the collegiate level. It's also in the K-12 through system. You brought up California. So Orange County was they have ethnic studies curriculums there. And in one of their ethnic studies curriculums, they talked about how, you know, Polish people and Jews, when they came here as immigrants, that they had built in white privilege, regardless of, of how poor they were or how they were mistreated when they first arrived. And this is the information that's flowing to students in the K through 12 system. Then they get up to the college level and they have professors like this that indoctrinate them even further. If an education system is built on anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism, anti-Western culture, the country doesn't survive. That's why people need to wake up and realize. And it's not even that the students are producing as far as education goes. You just had Oregon drop proficiency standards in reading, writing, and mathematics in order to graduate. In New York, we drop proficiency standards to meet what they deem as the new normal. When you look at Baltimore, 40% of Baltimore schools can produce a single student that's proficient in mathematics, one Baltimore senior, and they spend $22,000 per year per student. One wow. senior had a GPA of 0 0.13, 0 0.13. How did he make it to the senior grade level with a 0.13 GPA? And it tells you everything you need to know. They're simply cycling these students through. They're indoctrinating them with a political agenda. They cycle them through to the next grade. They want to get rid of them. And then they go to college. They could be brainwashed and indoctrinated further. And they don't have any critical thinking skills. They can't problem solve. They have difficulties interacting with other human beings. It's a nightmare. For real. I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, man, this is bad. And, and this has been going on for a long time, like kids getting socially promoted and whatnot. But it's it's crazy to see the how, you know, again, I, when I was in college, I took uh, exception to a lot of the teaching. I had a very left wing professor. This guy was off the rails. His name was Professor Ed Gallagher. Uh, he was my professor at NYU, but he was completing his dissertation at Fordham. And he was 28 years old at the time. And I remember his research was around rape and how he would explain to us, you know, I'm working on this paper. It's really tough. This guy was a nut job. And one time he was telling us about how he's like, you know, I'm doing my dissertation on rape because people are getting locked up for rape. But isn't it like a natural reaction for a man to want to take a woman? This is something he said. And, and, and he was saying, should people be charged if they're not as uh, evolved as others? What if they are, their DNA isn't as as evolved as someone else? This is the nature of, of the animal kingdom. And I was like, well, this guy's nuts. Yeah, something else, he, he was very pro-prostitution also, saying that, you know, we, we should legalize prostitution. And and I, I just, I remember him saying he would sell ecstasy in nightclubs in order to pay his tuition. This guy was off the rails. And that was back in 2000, right? 2000, 2001. So, well, that's if, a guy that never should have been in the classroom. Yeah, well, he, he sure was. And I think he was uh, uh, teaching at both schools, honestly. So I, I remember that. And I think if that was the case 20 some odd years ago, what do you think is happening today? Well, clearly they're training terrorists today. Right. And they're they're making people um, sympathetic to terrorism. 
not just to Marxism and the rest of the anti-Americanism that they teach. And yesterday or the night before, there were a bunch of stories floating around TikTok about how people were saying, if you haven't seen the Bin Laden letter, you got to check out this Bin Laden letter where he says all sorts of crazy stuff about why he attacked the United States. And people were like, yeah, you know, kind of applauding it. Like, yeah, shoot, I would have attacked the United States, too. And, and I think, man, it's crazy. And I don't know if you heard it, but I want to play it for the sake of the audience to hear um, very quickly. L- listen to this. I need you to stop what you're doing and go read A Letter to America. It is literally the craziest thing I've read in a while. And while I can't say that I'm that surprised, I am pretty shocked. So go read it and tell me what you think, because I really also need to talk to other people about this. And actually, before you even read the letter, I did want to mention in reading the letter, I could only think of this tweet that I saw the other day. Under settler colonialism, any kind of resistance is branded as terrorist because the only acceptable violence is violence by the occupier. Now, Nick Giordano, we only have like a minute and a half left in this segment, but I really I'm going to share something with you. When I hear the words occupier, occupation, uh, colonizer, colonial, colonialist, um, imperialist, I immediately stop listening and automatically label them a communist sympathizer, because that is the rhetoric that I heard from Hugo Chavez, from Che Guevara, from Fidel Castro and so many of that ilk. I don't know if that's right or wrong, and you don't have to agree with me, but um, what do you think when you hear those words? I label them morons, because that's (laughs) what they are. And it's relatively simple. I mean, first of all, when you're calling us colonizers, actually, we fought a revolution against the colonizers, right? I mean, it was the British that colonized, and then we fought a revolution against them. So they don't even... They don't understand history, and I never thought that I would be in a time period just 22 years removed from September 11th, and now you have a younger generation that's looking like at Osama bin Laden and saying, you know, there's something there to that guy. It's completely preposterous, and this is how we have dumbed down the education system, that these people can't even think, that they, they just buy into propaganda, they buy into BS and nonsense, and it's pretty simple to condemn terrorists that that murder innocent civilians that intentionally target innocent civilians yeah nick giordano stick with us the music means we got to take a quick pause but we're coming right back with professor nick giordano uh senior uh, excuse me higher education fellow for campus reform professor at suffolk county community college and the host of the pas report podcast you see him on fox he used to be on tucker all the time now he's on gutfeld this guy's big time i'm glad he's with us folks we're coming right back with nick giordano don't go anywhere i'm rich valdez Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. All right, America, welcome back. We're discussing the the latest with 
anti-Semitism flowing out of college campuses, creating people that now, uh, again, and they've been doing this for a while, but it seems to be at a fever pitch now, uh, hating America, hating America, loving Hamas, hating America, sympathizing with bin Laden, absolutely crazy. And our guest is Professor Nick Giordano from Suffolk County Community College in New York. He's also the host of the PAS Report and a higher education fellow at Campus Reform. And Nick Giordano, um, to me, again, from what I can see, it seems like we've we're we're doing way worse at college campuses than we were even a couple of years ago. Do you think that's just me being hyperbolic? Am I freaking out or am I on to something? You're on to something. I mean, let's face Listen, when I went to college, I had Marxist professors, too, but they actually appreciated education. They actually loved debate. They loved when I pushed back. They enjoyed it, and they never penalized me from my point of view or anything. Then you had the Ivy logs replace the, the old time, the old school professors, and that changed. That disrupted a lot. Not only did they replace the old school professors, but we also saw the ideologues get on uh, the Board of Regents here in New York State, start taking over state education departments where they pump out the curriculums. And I think it's time that we have like a serious conversation about dismantling our education system. You pointed to college and the decline of college. For the last four years, the United States, our, our top universities, have many of them have declined in the worldwide rankings four years in a row. And as some of them are falling closer off the top 200 chart, China's universities are gaining. So we're failing there. We're seeing companies like IBM and Bank of America, Tesla, corporate Walmart, states like New Jersey and Pennsylvania and Virginia, all moving away from four-year degrees. A new survey just came out about small business owners where 89% of them, don't believe that college is helping. They're not preparing the students for the workforce. They're not preparing them for the real world. And 42% of them said that they would not hire someone with a four-year college degree. Now, why do you think that is? And it's because they see the failures up front. They don't want to hire ideologues. They want to hire people that are going to expand the business. They, can, they want to hire people that know how to manage their time, that know how to show up on time, that take initiative, that can interact with the other coworkers, and that can problem solve. Well, if the colleges aren't producing that, then they're kind of useless. And why do we have to fund so many universities to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars each year if they're not producing the students that we need? And not only that, even worse, they're producing students that end up hating the country that they're from. Yeah, listen, uh, I, I think you're right on it. And to me, this points directly to what you discuss in your latest op-ed that can be found on campusreform.org, revamp education to stop the cultural rot. And for too long, we've allowed the system to fail and allow anti-Americanism, anti-Semitism, and disdain for Western culture to flourish on these campuses. Uh, explain to the audience a little bit about what you spell out in that piece. Well, it's a lot of what we talked about, the failures, but we have to bring solutions to the table because it's easy to point to the defects within the education system. However, we need to fix it. And so one of the things I call for in the article is we, we have to eliminate the diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives that are being pumped out K through 12 in every curriculum 
and at the higher education level where a, col- a lot of colleges have actually made diversity, equity, inclusion as part of their degree requirements, regardless of what you're majoring in, you have to take DEI certified courses. We need to get rid of DEI. It's rotting our culture. It's creating this victimhood mentality. It's putting us into tribes. It turns the tribes against each other. And we're witnessing the results of that now on college campuses as people go out and celebrate the Hamas attacks. So that's the first thing we need to do. But one of the major problems that nobody talks about is expectations and standards. These standards have been dropped dramatically. Students are no longer producing at the level that they were 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. And it's interesting because they're not producing at the same level, yet their grades keep getting higher and higher. So the average (laughs) GPA from 1970s to 1990s was about 2.5. Today, it's 3.1. If they're not performing as well, then how are the grades inflated? And it's because they're just cycling them through. And when they get to the college level, colleges have dropped standards in order to meet the new student body that they have. Remember, colleges need to fill seats. And so they start lowering their standards as well. And we see this across the board. Now, what liberals and progressives and the far left will tell you is that, well, we have to understand where these students are coming from and they come from the hard times. And no, you don't drop standards, okay? People tend to meet expectations. So you set the bar high. It's the Pygmalion effect. If you set the bar high, students will tend to achieve higher. Yet they've dropped standards so low that they're non-existent. And I say that when you have officials that are dropping standards because they have no faith in the student body, it's time to get rid of those officials. They should not be anywhere near the education system. And let's bring in people who have faith in the student. I have faith in my students. They can achieve if they want to. They just need to be pushed. They need to work hard. And we have to teach them that. And so I think that we have to have high standards. We have to reintroduce merit back into the system. Most people uh, might not know, but a lot of districts throughout the entire country have, have gotten rid of the honors programs because it's not inclusive enough, because it makes other students feel bad because they're not part of the honors program. No, the honors program is important. You need to work towards a goal. And so we need to bring back the idea of merit. The harder you work, the more you get rewarded and the more it pays off. That's what you want to instill, those types of values in the student body. And then we have to look at funding, right? If a school is failing, if a school is sitting there and they're just producing anti-American zealots, why do taxpayers have to fund that? And yeah, do that on you your own dime. Seriously, absolutely. So I think that when it comes to K through 12, we need to move towards the idea that the tax dollars follow the student. They could go to a neighboring public school. They could go to a private school, whatever it is. But they don't have to sit in a failing school and not get a real education. And that will help dramatically close the, the academic achievement gap. So I think that's an important role. I think that colleges need to be forced to get rid of useless degree programs, like no offense to anyone that majored in in Caribbean studies out there, but (laughs) we need to get rid of these degree programs. They're not beneficial. They just rack up student debt. Students graduate. They can't find jobs. So we have to penalize the college. If colleges are going to offer useless degrees, they should be getting their funding cut. The financial aid that goes to that college should be cut. 
We have to take a proactive stance if we want to fix this mess. And we have to, because the decline in education signifies the decline in the nation. And I don't think there's a single person right now that thinks that America is not declining. It's clear as day we are. And it all stems from our education system. I couldn't agree with you more, Professor Nick Giordano. He's the host of the PAS Report podcast, and he's also a professor of political science at Suffolk uh, Community College. He's also the higher education fellow at Campus Reform. And we're coming right back with Nick Giordano. It's me, Rich Valdez. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. More people in the United States are in the workforce today than any time in American history. Unemployment has been under 4% for 21 straight months. Inflation has come down by 65%. More to do. We now have the lowest inflation of any lowest inflation rate of any advanced economy in the world. Meanwhile, median household wealth has grown by 37% in real terms since before the pandemic. I acknowledge there's a disconnect between the numbers and how people feel about their place in the world right now. We can deal with the second part as well. We still have work to do. So Biden says we still have work to do, but... We're seeing results from his economy. Bidenomics is working. 37% increase in uh, in uh, the median household income is what he says is going on. Nick Giordano, I want to switch gears a little bit, talk about Congress, talk about this uh, economy. When you hear Biden uh, at the APEC summit yesterday in California where he was um, rolling out the red carpet for the red Chinese, uh, what's your reaction to that? Did he get into Hunter Biden's stash? I mean, <laughs> you know, when I listen to that, 37%, I don't know where he's getting these numbers, but the, but there's not a single person that I speak to that feels that their household wealth has increased by 37% under <laughs> his administration. Not a single person. I mean, you know, the, the disconnect is amazing to me because – they say, well, oh, inflation is the lowest it's been in, in a long time. And, but it's still up overall under his administration, about 16 17%. And, and even worse, if we just look at food and energy prices, it's much higher than 16 17%. And that's what most people feel. So sure. coming out there and telling people, hey, listen, shut up, peasants, you're stupid. I'm doing a great job for you, isn't really the way to go. You know, he needs to, well, I don't know if he's capable of it, but Bill Clinton was masterful at showing empathy. Biden, not so much. And it really is a disconnect. The economy is not doing well. All indications are that we're, we're going into a recession. Has inflation slowed down? Yes, inflation has slowed down. But people are still paying a hell of a lot more for everything today than they were three years ago. You know, I think it's perspective, right? I think people in their 40s, maybe even their 50s, they look at the economy right now and they're like, man, this doesn't look good. But I think if you're in your 60s, 70s, uh, even 80s, 
you look at the economy and you remember the 1980s like they were yesterday. And you remember the 19% mortgage on your first home. And I think people look at it and they go, ah, oh, it's not so bad. What is it, we're 8%? Oh, we're good. And I feel like that's why some economists are saying uh, it's really not that bad. You know, employment numbers don't look horrible. But a guy like me, I'm like, I don't know. I, I can't remember the last time things felt this bad. <laughs> you know, maybe 2003, um, four, five, around there when <laughs> interest rates were, were, you know, going from six to seven to, you know, and even now it's like, if you have great credit, you're getting like a 7.9, uh, seven and a half. It, it's, it's just things have changed radically. Now, again, we're comparing it to all these low, low 1.5 type of uh, 2.5, 3.5 uh, mortgages that people saw. But uh, I think it's a matter of perspective. And, you know, uh, I'm with you. I don't, I don't see 37% increase. I don't think things are great. Um, I, I just don't see it. I can't imagine how anybody going to vote is going to say, oh, you're doing a great job unless they're, you know, up there in years and they're comparing it to, you know, Carter. Yeah, and I, I agree with that, with the exception of those that are living on Social Security and just that's what they rely on for their income. They're certainly feeling it. But for someone yeah. like me, I mean, I make pretty good money. I, I did get a pay increase this year. But if I look at the pay increase, well, in that's inflation, I actually sir. lost money. It's by dynamics. I, you know, you get a pay raise and you actually make less money than you were making. This is the way Biden's economy is working. And it really goes to show you that this administration, they don't have a clue on the economy. They, they don't know what people are going through. They don't know the reckoning that's about to come down the pike. I mean, I, listen, I go into New York City every now and then. It's successful. But I just look at all, all those big corporate buildings without the corporations in them anymore, right? They, they oh, realize, yeah. why are we spending 100000 to a $1 million on rent per month? And now you're seeing the collapse in the commercial real estate market. And that's going to trickle down. You see the small businesses in, in places like Manhattan getting crushed. Why? Because those corporations left. They don't have those employees that are now eat, eating lunch and going to the delis and the bagel stores. And so it's a real problem. But this is something that, that Biden has never been able to explain well. He goes out there and brags about Bidenomics. But if people aren't feeling it in their pockets, if people are having trouble paying their bills, they're not going to be happy with his message, line of messaging. Yeah, I agree. And again, his delivery is horrible. He's not Bill Clinton. He doesn't have the rage and Cajun by his side saying it's the economy, stupid. And. I think he's he's uh, he's doing really poorly personally. Uh, we'll see if I'm right or wrong. If Biden's elected again, then I have to sit here and eat crow. Uh, Nick Giordano, quickly before we go, tell us uh, what what are it's your not thoughts? Not going to be Biden. Uh, yeah, well, tell me tell me about Biden's your thoughts not for 2024. I think we're about to see a Clinton uh, Trump rematch. That's what I think. I, I really, think what that, makes you think that? Because I, I see her out there, but I don't know if she's ready, and I don't think uh, she could she could win. Here's the thing: you have. Axelrod coming out a few weeks ago saying that Biden should step down. A lot of Democrats are now freaking out behind the scenes. They want to recruit Michelle Obama, but Michelle Obama wants no part of it. Obviously, Gavin Newsom's waiting in the chops. He could raise the money. He could have a campaign apparatus. But outside of New York, D.C., and California, he doesn't have too much name recognition. If you're going to swap Biden out, it's the only way to do it is at the convention. And if you do it at the convention, you need someone that has 100 percent name recognition, someone that's a fundraising machine 
and someone that has a campaign apparatus that was never dismantled after 2016, and that's Hillary Clinton. And that's why she's making the appearances. She's like, oh, she's just waiting. I'm telling you. Hmm. Good, good analysis. Well, Nick Giordano, I want to thank you for being with us, uh, hanging out with us on a Friday night, staying up late. Uh, let everybody know how they could follow you and keep in touch with what you're doing. Everyone could go to PASReport.com to hear the PAS Report podcast. They go to CampusReform.org. Check out my articles there. Campus Reform does great work. Just getting people educated on what's happening within the education system, keeping people informed of what's going on and the craziness we're seeing and trying to make the changes that are necessary to make sure that we have a vibrant nation that we're going to leave to our kids. Outstanding work. Nick Giordano, Godspeed to you, my best to your family, and I hope to, A, hang out with you soon, and B, have you back on the show. Certainly. You got it, brother. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and more, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Remember, we're doing open phones in a little bit, and uh, we're taking calls on anything that's on topic throughout the show, 833-4-Valdez. But I wanted to bring your attention to a clip of audio. Andrea Mitchell, you probably know the name. She's about 8,000 years old, and uh, she's, she's very, very down the middle. Lying, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. She's extraordinarily biased. Uh, and despite the video that's been released, despite news reports uh, for, I don't know, probably about a decade at least that Hamas uh, runs their operations out of hospitals, schools and uh, mosques. She went on TV today and said there's really no definitive evidence, despite the United States government saying it, the United States intelligence community, um, you know, and, and the IDF. Listen to this. Israeli special forces are now inside or laying siege to several hospitals in Gaza, including Al-Shifa, where the IDF claims it found a tunnel entrance. NBC News cannot independently verify that claim. So far, there is no definitive evidence that a Hamas command and control center exists beneath the hospital, a claim Israeli and U.S. officials have repeatedly been making. But Hamas and doctors at the hospital forcefully deny. (laughs) Yeah. Well, again, uh, listen, I'm not there, but I, I just find it fascinating. I mean, this is not even a new idea. This is something that's been going on for quite a long time. Hamas is infamous for this. And uh, if she's suggesting that that's not the case, then they should have probably made that argument 10 years ago when they were saying that Hamas was doing that. Too little, too late, Andrea Mitchell. Better luck next time. Anyway, folks, we continue with your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to talk about what's going on in New York City, what's going on with the migrants, what's going on with the attack on the cops. They threw a lieutenant on the train tracks. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. Live. 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you this Friday evening, hour number two of the program. If you want to join us, our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. And the migrant crisis continues. Illegal immigration is off the chain. People are coming in from all over the place. As you guys know, I mentioned I was at a wake yesterday for my uh, my recently deceased brother, Bobby Robert Valdez, and uh, may God rest his soul. And he was a Marine, but my other brothers are cops, NYPD, and there was a bunch of NYPD and feds in the room. And one of the cops I was talking to was telling me about how he's got his hands tied. He can't do anything. And he said he's never seen anything like this. The guy's been on the job for, I think it was 16 years or 20 years, and, and he's on his 25 contract. I'm not sure. But I know he said he had four years left before he retires, and he'd never seen anything like this with the migrants. He says he gives them warnings every day. His command has told him, do not lock them up. Just give them a warning and keep them moving. They don't want to lock them up. And so he's, he, he's feeling like he was at his wit's end. And saying that it's the same warnings every day. They act up. They bring uh, bad habits from wherever they came from. Because like uh, El Trompito said, you know, they're bringing their racists. They're bringing their bad guys, you know, bad hombres. And ultimately, a lot there's a lot of truth to that. There's an assimilation process that's not happening. And the cops can't do anything. They're all over the place. And Mayor Eric Adams is crying. He's whining. But... Nada, nothing's happening. So I said, you know what? I, I want to um, get to the bottom of this, but I want you first to hear what Adams is saying because he's saying, look, we're not out of the woods yet. Check this out. We added billions of dollars to care for the migrants. COVID funding is sunsetting, and we must close a $7 billion budget gap in the coming fiscal year. That is the reality we are facing. And if circumstances don't change dramatically, city agencies will be forced to reduce city funding spending by 5% two more times within the next six months. That would mean disruptions to the services we all rely on. We cannot afford to be divided as a city in this moment. We must come together and speak with one voice to Albany and Washington, D.C., to get the support we need. That'll mean disruptions to the services. What services? You've got emotionally disturbed persons all over the place. You've got crime all over the place. It's bedlam in so much of the city. If I got it wrong, you can change my mind. But I want to bring in a champ, a people's champ, somebody who understands this better than anybody. He's a subway rat himself. He rides the subways. He doesn't have a car. He doesn't use cars. He used to take cabs, but they shot him in the back of a cab. Curtis Leeway, he's a huge radio host in New York City. He's a friend he's a mentor and he's with us right now curtis lee welcome sir oh my hands across america to all your listeners and oh i i didn't know your your brother had passed away oh, uh, thank you, my prayers 
prayers are with your family. Great considerations. Uh, Liberty loving Latino, I know your entire family was supporters of yours truly, Curtis Lee and the Guardian Angels. That's true. Big time. Big time supporters. That's 100%. And Curtis Lee, you know, I'm hearing elite Eric Adams. He's out there when he's not TikToking with the Kardashians. He's uh, crying about more money and more money and the COVID money's running out and we need more money for this. But he's not doing a good job by the city, in my perspective. What say you? Well, number one, remember, a year ago, he rolled out the red carpet for the illegal aliens. He couldn't he couldn't take enough from Governor Abbott, that racist he called him. We'll show you how to treat illegal aliens. I mean, from soup to nuts, whatever they wanted. Con arroz, habichuelas. Oh, beans and rice. <laughs> Would you like a chuleta on top, a pork chop? <laughs> whatever they wanted, they got five-star hotel rooms at $400 a night. They uh, would have to have no curfew because this was a shelter, believe it or not, a hotel, whereas you could be down on your luck as an American citizen, maybe even a veteran. If you were staying in a shelter, your curfew was 10 o'clock at night. You had to go through a metal detector. You had to be searched for drugs, for drug paraphernalia, for alcohol. The illegal aliens, they basically ran the streets. No curfew. They're smoking weed, drinking cerveza. And living the great American life at us, the sucker taxpayers' expense. The mayor now is going, no mas, no mas. We're going to be uh, bankrupt as a result. Well, hey, guy, you have only yourself to blame. And you're, and the uh, I call him the papajulo of all illegal aliens, Joe Biden, who will not close the border, who will not say enough is enough. And that's why this invasion continues and as Eric Adams said a month ago, it's going to destroy our city. But he's not doing not a damn thing about it. Listen, this is very, very um, disconcerting. It's very, very bad news to me uh, because, again, I understand that you have you have problems, right? And problems come and go, but there, there should be a solution. Sometimes it's temporary. This particular problem seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. And with Joe El Baboso Biden doing zero except bringing in more illegal aliens across the border and busting them right into New York City and other cities, I don't see how we get better. Uh, how do we fix this, Curtis Lewa? Well, number one, remember I ran against Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. And if he doesn't go to jail to the big house in chains and shackles, by the way, breaking news, uh, he has just put together a legal defense fund starting tonight because he's in a lot of trouble, all kinds of investigations. But put that aside, I'm running against him again. First thing I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to restore ICE, Limigre, Immigration and Naturalization Service, the federal security agency that was put together in the aftermath of 9-11 to protect us from people invading our country, intending to do harm to us, overstaying their visas, or, in this case, in this age of terrorism, possibly taking advantage of the open borders of Joe Biden, coming in and trying to wipe us out a third time, figuring the third time to jump. ISIS is not allowed to cooperate with any of the local law enforcement agencies by our governors, our mayors, because we call ourselves, Richie, a sanctuary city, a sanctuary right. state, as others do. And you say to yourself, Richie, where's the law that says we're a sanctuary city, a state? There is none. 
It could be changed in a heartbeat. We need ICE, the brave men and women who put on bulletproof vests each and every day. They get retainers to go out, as you called, uh, the really bad hombres who are sex traffickers, drug dealers, gangbangers, or maybe even committed really bad crimes in their country of origin. And they got to be locked up. And ISIS is the federal police agency to do it. I agree with you, Curtis Sliwa. Folks, we're on with Curtis Sliwa. He's the founder of the Guardian Angels. If you don't know, you should. They're the safety patrol group that really helped clean up the city. Uh, they patrolled the city during the height of crime. And then when Rudy Giuliani came in as mayor and he started cleaning up the city, they were there right there, hand in hand, cleaning up New York City. Curtis Lee was at the helm of that. And uh, he's, he was by night patrolling the subways and the streets by day on the radio, uh, uh, jabbering his jaw. The guy's a phenomenal broadcaster. I'm glad he's with us. We're coming right back with him straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back, familia. We go to Boise, Idaho, KBOI. We check in with Paul. Paul, you're on with Rich Valdez and our guest, Curtis Sliwa. Wow, awesome. Hey, Curtis, I got to thank you just for being who you are and what you've been doing for the last 40 years. I watched you from the other side of the United States over on the West Coast. Now we call it the left coast. And, uh, you know, you, you've done things for your city and, and you've done it out of love. You, I don't think you've made millions upon millions of dollars like some people might have. And, and you're, you've helped people. And I've noticed that from afar. And I admire that in somebody that can do that for somebody else and not stick their hand out wanting something, except maybe a handshake. And, you know, you, you send a lot of positive vibes out to people. And I'm sure they understand what I'm trying to get at by saying this to you right now. But you've done a lot for your city as much as you can with the tools and the money that you're given to be able to do things. One one thing I did want to ask was what was the circus like when Bernie Getz went through what he went through? Thank you, Paul. Curtis, go right ahead. Well, we're starting to come full circle, uh, Paul and Rich. Uh, back to those days in the 80s where the subway gunman emerged, Bernard Getz, who was being preyed upon and then shot four of these thugs as they were trying to rob him. We just had a situation just a week ago where a guy pulled out a gun in the subways and fired shots to prevent a robbery in progress of a woman. Unfortunately, he was taken away to jail. The person who did it is a repeat criminal, a predicate offender, He'll be cut loose again to go out and do it again and again and again. And I think uh, from what I thought we had recovered from, which was Crime Central, New York City in the 70s and 80s, we now have gone fully back and fallen into the abyss. And that's why uh, Eric Adams, who basically has forsaken us to fund the uh, illegal aliens and to forsake the cities, 
is now saying, well, people got to volunteer. They got to be the school safety guards. They're going to have to fill in for the police that I'm going to have to cut from the budget. It's, he's a dollar short and a day late. And that's why you need groups like the Guardian Angels to fill the void because our politicians, they have forsaken us time and time again, Rich. Thank you, Paul. And yet, Curtis, you know, you're, you're right. And I, 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 not just that story. There's a lot of stories out there. I'm looking at one here. Uh, NYPD Lieutenant Pichardo hospitalized after responding to a train conductor's call for help on Saturday night, 238th Street Station in Kingsbridge in the Bronx. This guy got the crap beat out of him. Uh, a, a lieutenant in uniform, if they're beating up on the cops, what do you think they're going to do to you and me? Oh, and it's happened a few more times. In that particular situation, this is a hero Dominican-American police officer has uh, received citation after citation for valor. Uh, these two thugs he was trying to break up. They were having a knife fight with one another. He breaks them up, and then they turn on him, and they give him a vicious beat down. Rich Valdez, he goes to the hospital. Thank God he'll recover. They broke his, uh, uh, his uh, eye orbit. Uh, they broke his nose. He was in real bad shape. You know, the swagger man with no plan, the mayor, he didn't even have a chance to go and visit him, he said, nor the police commissioner. Now, what does that say to the men and women in blue that one of your colleagues is be- beaten viciously and neither the mayor or the police commissioner goes to the cop's bedside? That is just going to indicate to more cops that you can't do your job. When you actually do get physical, you don't have your, your mayor and your police commissioner don't have your back. So more will leave the job, more will be recruited by other agencies, and pretty soon it'll look like. Remember that movie, Kurt Russell, Escape from New York. Oh boy! We may have round two, Escape from New York, because we're coming out to the rest of America. So prepare for more New Yorkers exiting the city. Yeah, it, it's a real shame, and uh, thankfully. There's some investigation into elite Eric Adams uh, with the feds or I think it was the feds that said, hey, we want to see your cell phone. And now he's lawyering up and he's putting together a legal defense. Uh, Give us the scoop on that, Curtis Leba. Well, as you know, Rich Valdez, I ran against him for mayor and I lost. But I always said this was the swagger man with no plan. His battle cry has always been from the first day he was sworn in previous to being mayor in the state senate in a place state senate in a place called Albany show me the money that's what it's all about show me the money so basically the way you do business with the city of New York you got to show up you got to have a sit down with Eric Adams you got to uh, you got to wine dine and pocket line him so if you're ready as a lobbyist or anybody with interest in the city to basically pay him or his cronies off you get an easy pass to get what you want. Anybody else to the back of the line. And I've been calling him out for years. And now, all of a sudden, the rats are leaving the sinking ship. He's got a number of people who are cooperating with the feds and local authorities, giving evidence because they don't want to go to jail for Eric Adams. And here's a guy who thought he was going to be the new face of the Democratic Party. Soon he would be at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in the future. Because he would win not only the black vote on the Democratic line, but the ever-growing Latino vote because he's the one who encouraged the illegal aliens to cross the border. He wants, naturally, no, no barriers at the border. And now he'll probably be going to the big house in chains and shackles. Uh, he got his cell phones taken by the FBI. First time ever that has occurred in a very corrupt city like New York. 
And you know how he's communicating now, Rich Valdez? With two oh. burner phones. That's what drug <laughs> dealers use. That's what guys who have a gumado or a woman on the side use to keep it away from their wife. Burner phones. <laughs> They'll take those away, too. It's the FBI we're talking about. Those guys will do whatever they got to do. Oh, boy, Curtis Lewis. So uh, last time you said you were going to run against them again. Is that in full swing, or are you considering that? Is that happening? What's the story? Rich Valdez, you know, Curtis Lewis, you cut my veins and arteries, I bleed New York City. I got to save our city now. Because he has brought us to the brink of bankruptcy by taking care of the migrants and not the people that he was sworn into office to defend, to take care of, and above all others, uh, prevent an illegal invasion from toppling our city. So you're damn right I'm going to take him on and anybody else. Remember, this is a bastion of socialism. Eric Adams is considered a moderate Democrat, but this is the town where the socialists have won elections uh, community by community, borough by borough, and they have to be stopped in your tracks, all led by the woman you first dubbed all-out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America. All-out crazy AOC, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, and she she has spread that ideology um, far and wide with the Democrat Socialists of America. So Godspeed to you and everything you're doing with the Ronald Reagan Republican Club, because uh, I think that's the, the right antidote to what she's putting out there. Oh, there's no doubt. You got to challenge the socialists right in the belly of the beast, because we see, look at what happened in Chicago. You went from Beetlejuice as the mayor, and then they elected a socialist. And I mean, the, the city <laughs> worse that was than her. horrible. It's gotten that much worse. Keep going the socialist way, and you'll have nothing left, and then you'll have to flee your city or your community like everybody else. Curtis Leo, we're down to a minute before we hit the hard break. I want to make sure everybody knows how they could follow you and support you and keep up to speed with uh, your decision to run and everything like that. Tell them where to find you. Well, my passion, my love has always been the group that I created voluntarily to patrol the streets of America and the world in 13 countries now, 130 cities, the Guardian Angels. Just go to guardianangels.org, guardianangels.org, and that's the best way to communicate with me as you put your hands across America to the liberty-loving Latino, Rich Valdez. Uh, Curtis Lee, you're too kind, brother. It's always good to hear your voice. My best to Nancy and the crew. Tell 13 I said what's up. Have a great Thanksgiving, and God bless you. And my cats love you, too. Meow. (laughs) Meow. Rich Valdez coming right back. America, welcome back. We continue our conversation with William Ruger. He's president of the American Institute for Economic Research. And there's a uh, uh, a list. And of course, I want to talk about this list because we want to talk about this study that has a state by state comparison of 
the freest states in America, right? It's called Freedom in the 50 States and looks at uh, the personal and economic freedom state by state. William Ruger, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Outstanding. I'm happy you're here, and I, I want to get into this because uh, these these topics always interest me. Uh, I'm I'm a native New Yorker. I live in New Jersey, thinking of moving to Florida, and I'm always interested in knowing which uh, which are the freest states in the country. How did you put the list together, and and what was the the reasoning, the rationale for putting the list together? Well, I think it's important to study states, right? Because we have a great federalist system in which. We don't just have the federal government in Washington, but a lot of the powers of the state are actually much more localized than in other countries. And so we can look at states because they vary a lot in terms of how much the state impacts our lives, whether it's in taxes or criminal justice policies or education. And so it's good to see what they look like, especially because people want to be able to relocate their businesses or they want to move or they want to try to do better than the states near them. And that helps them decide where they want to live, especially if you're thinking about living in New York versus Connecticut versus New Jersey or, you know, in uh, you know, if you're thinking about, hey, you know, should I you know, prefer New Hampshire to a place like Massachusetts? Right. So a lot of different reasons why you might want to do this. Uh, and again, not just scholarly, but for everyday decisions in our in our lives. Yeah. For the practical sake of actually figuring out what's best for for oneself. Um, so, William Ruger, let's talk a little bit about the list. Um, what are the uh, top five, uh, your top five of where, you know, people have the most economic freedom? Well, in terms of their overall freedom, New Hampshire is number one. Uh, you know, it's uh, actually the highest ranking we've ever seen. We've been doing this study now uh, for 15 years. This is the seventh edition. And They've got the highest absolute score we've ever seen, but it's followed closely by Florida, South Dakota, Nevada, and Arizona, right? That's the top five in terms of, of overall freedom. Now, in ter- our, you know, our study looks at not just economic freedom, but also personal freedom. So it's divided into three, right? So fiscal policy and regulatory policy make up economic freedom, and then personal freedom or freedom from paternalism, if you might think of it that way. And, you know, we break it down... Uh, along those different lines. And so if you think about economic freedom, New Hampshire and Florida are are up there at the top, as is South Dakota, Tennessee, and Georgia, as well as a state like Texas, which does really well on economic freedom, but very poorly on personal freedom. Ah, why is that? Well, I mean, you have some states like New Hampshire uh, and Nevada that do really well on both, right? And that's why they are at our top spots. But you have these strange states um, that might do better on one or the other category. And those do tend to correlate sometimes with whether they're red or blue states in terms of our political nomenclature, right? So a state like Texas, it uh, has very high incarceration levels relative to uh, the type of personal and property crime that you might see. Uh, It doesn't necessarily have a kind of robust set of uh, school choice approaches like states like Florida, New Hampshire, and others. Right. Um, so that's why it doesn't do so well, but it might do really well on something like it has a right to work law, right? That's something that even New Hampshire, it's at number one, currently lacks. Um, whereas you have other states um, like Maine that does really well on personal freedom, but horribly on economic freedom. And so, again, that's, these states vary quite widely. And so, uh, you know, it's very interesting as us as scholars, but I think the reason why the study's done so well is people like to see 
you know, how their states are doing. And, you know, we're looking at 230 different types of policy areas. So it's not as if you could just, we're just looking at a few. It's very robust. Everything from, you know, tax burden uh, to things like right to work to even raw milk sales. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, what's cool about your website, which is uh, freedominthe50states.org, is that you can break it down by the different types of freedom, overall freedom, economic freedom, fiscal freedom, regulatory freedom. And I was looking at your regulatory map, and number one there is Kansas. And I wouldn't have uh, suspected that. Uh, why, why is Kansas number one? Well, if you think about it, you know, Kansas has to compete with a lot of other different types of states. And one way they can do that, um, and they can't compete on things like amenities, right? It doesn't have big mountains. It doesn't have oceans. Uh, the weather in Kansas, you know, no offense to people out there from Wichita, uh, is, uh, you know, not, not necessarily the greatest in the world. Um, you know, so they're able to compete with others, you know, through their policies. And that's, that's a real advantage. You know, in terms of regulatory policy, right, you know, they, have, they don't have a lot of land use restrictions, which you see in a lot of places on the coast. Um, you know, they, they have, uh, you know, a right-to-work law. They don't have a state-level minimum wage law. Uh, their civil liability system is good. And they've also had, you know, really great scores on occupational licensing, which is a problem in a lot of places where it's really hard, uh, you, know, to, uh, you know, to actually employ yourself, right, to use your skills uh, to make a difference and to grow your economic future. Uh, and, and a place like Kansas does really well in those areas. Now, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about overall freedom. And uh, I love the way you've got the website laid out because you're able to see your, your top five, but you're also able to see your bottom five. And uh, your bottom five here, uh, not surprising, but, man, does it stink here. Uh, you've got, uh, I'll just look at these, these last few that I'm looking at here because I was looking to see who number 50 was. And uh, in overall oh, it's freedom, New York. It, <laughs> yeah, it's New York. But right behind it, you've got California, Oregon and New Jersey. And it's so interesting how similar these states are, honestly, not by size, but by regulation and by by politics in many ways. Uh, yet they're so disparate in terms of geography. Um, how, why did New York come in uh, at number 50, the worst state for freedom? Well, you know, part of the problem for New York is it's it's not just bad in one thing or another. It's just bad across the board. Mm-hmm. Now, it has made some gains in personal freedom over the years, but it's always been number 50 in our study. And, you know, this is going back in terms of our data all the way, uh, you know, to the year 2000. And we have, uh, you know, some, some aspects of our data go all the way back to the 1930s. But in terms of our robust ranking all the way back to 2000, it's always been number 50. And, you know, look, it's got really high taxes, right? Um, you know, not just at the at the state level, but even in localities, uh, it's got uh, a, a ton of regulatory policy. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, if you think about uh, you know how much New York is a kind of beacon to the world of of business of kind of vibrancy. Uh, well, they're living on that past capital because they've really tried to squelch things. And you know, New York City may not suffer as much because of its vibrancy. But the rest of the state really does. And it's no wonder that they're losing population. And one thing about our study is that we are able to look and see if there's a statistically significant correlation. Uh, And that's a mouthful, I know. But is there actually a a driving force? Does freedom or the lack of freedom 
cause people to eat, to move, right, to vote with their feet. And one thing we found in New York is that people are voting with their feet. They're leaving in droves, especially from upstate, and going to places that are more free um, because of the fact that this is really sidelining their ability to grow, say, their businesses uh, or to keep a, a bigger amount of, you know, their take-home pay uh, and, and not have it basically being taken by government for what government wants, good or bad. Folks, we're on with William Ruger. He's president of the American Institute for Economic Research, and we're discussing uh, the Freedom in the 50 States.org map. It's a great state by state study of personal economic freedom. Uh, we're going to continue that discussion as well as um, some of what President Biden says are the uh, Americans that are delusional because they say they're living paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> he says that's crazy. I think it's worse than that. Folks, don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. my approach here in the United States from the moment my administration took office. We're building an economy from the middle out and the bottom up. Trickle-down economy worked okay sometimes, but not a whole lot trickled down on my dad's kitchen table. But when the middle class does well, the poor have a chance and the wealthy still do very well. Because what happens, the poor have a ladder up, the middle class and the wealthy still do well. Folks, we're already seeing the results. The last quarter, the American economy grew 4.9%, the highest growth rate in two years. That's President Joe El Baboso Biden, and he thinks Americans living paycheck to paycheck are disconnected from reality. Uh, he's suggesting that Americans who are unhappy with the economy are just, you know, they're just not there. You're getting it wrong. Don't believe your lying eyes. And, you know, it's interesting in another audio clip we played earlier, he said that uh, median household incomes are up 37 percent. And while factually that may be true because they dropped so much, I don't know that you, me or anybody listening feels like you have an extra 37 percent of uh, of your median household income. But I, I want to get uh, your take on this. William Ruger, president of the American Institute for Economic Research. Uh, what say you? Well, you know, I think, and I've been talking a lot about grocery store voters, right? So people who, when they go to the grocery store, they look at those prices and they get that sticker shock because we've had rampant inflation for a long time now. And it's, it, it is quite shocking, particularly for people you know, who aren't in those upper reaches of, of you know, kind of uh, salary and income, right? And so I think that, you know, I, it sounds a little bit like Biden is detached, actually. And, you know, it kind of <laughs> brings to mind... You know, remember, you know, when when uh, George H.W. Bush was a little bit surprised uh, by, uh, uh, you know, at the grocery store around uh, About how the they were ringing up the milk, right, yeah. and the gallon of milk. Uh, you know, it sounds like President Biden's a little bit detached here. And, 
you know, I think those grocery store voters are going to be the ones that will have, have quite a say uh, because of the fact that they are suffering and there are a lot of Americans. And, you know, there was a report that 60 percent of Americans were you know, living paycheck to paycheck in the sense of not having robust savings. And that's a real worry, I think, uh, particularly with a soft economy. And, uh, you know, I think some of the worst of the inflation uh, is behind us, hopefully. Um, but the fact is, is that inflation is still high even if the rate of inflation growth has gone down. Yeah, I agree with you. And how much of that, and I'm, I'm thinking all of it, but I'm sure there's some local considerations as well. But how much of that do you think uh, weighs into the rankings that you guys are putting together on the state-by-state -state comparisons uh, when it comes to the, the overall economy and, and Bidenomics, as he's dubbed it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the federal government has a big impact, right, because of the fact that it is such a, uh, you know, a, a, it takes so much in terms of American income out of the economy uh, and because the you know, U.S. government spends so much. And, uh, you know, states have a role here. And one of the things that we find in our study, actually, is that states that have economic freedom, regardless of what's happening across the country and globally, the states that have economic freedom are doing better than the states that don't, right? That personal income is growing at a higher rate in these states where, you know, there's better regulatory freedom, uh, better tax policy. Uh, you know, you look at a state like New Hampshire that's doing a lot better than Massachusetts in terms of its growth. And that's a big part of that is because it's more free, right? Easier to start businesses, uh, you know, more take-home pay because there's no income tax, there's no sales tax, there's been some changes in tax policy for businesses. And that helps the state grow better. But again, the national policies are going to have a huge impact as well. And, you know, this is not something that economists haven't figured out. You know, Adam Smith said, you know, 200 years ago, right, that to go from, you know, kind of barbarism to opulence, you need peace, easy taxes and a tolerable administration of justice. In other words, peace and freedom. Right. Yeah. Adam Smith, bright guy, Wealth of Nations, great book. And uh, he talks about the invisible hand. And I feel like oftentimes what the government does is kind of handcuff the invisible hand. Well, it's not just handcuffing the invisible hand. It's actually trying to determine where that hand goes, right? Right. And that's one of the big problems with an economy that has uh, what we might call crony capitalism, which isn't true free markets and not a true price system, right? And that's one of the problems of, of Bidenomics, right? You know, in terms of whether it's the, you know, the infrastructure bill uh, or so many of the other aspects of this administration's policies is that they're trying to manage the economy as opposed to allowing that invisible hand to create wealth. And this is a recipe for disaster and frankly is not consistent with the American tradition that made us the greatest country in the world. I agree with that 100 percent. Folks, we're on with William Ruger. He's president of the American Institute for Economic Research. And uh, we're going to come back with him to wrap up. And then right after that, it's hour number three at the top of the hour. It's Open Phone America, where you get to call in and weigh in on all the topics we're discussing, as well as bring your own topics to the table. The phone number for that, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
is Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We're on with William Ruger. He's president of the American Institute for Economic Research, their website, AIER.org. And uh, we've been discussing the freedom in the 50 states um, issue. They, they, every, they have seven editions out right now. This is a state-by-state study of personal and economic freedom. It's fantastic. If you check out the website, uh, freedominthe50states.org, you'll see this uh, really interactive map where you could see each state and how they're ranked by a number of categories, which I think are really, uh, it's, it's a really cool tool, in my opinion. Uh, William Ruger, um, before we go, I want to make sure that you had an opportunity to let everybody know ab- about not only this work that you do, but everything else that AIER is doing. No, thank you. I mean, we focus on really three main areas. We look at monetary economics, so we're looking at things like Federal Reserve policy, the causes of inflation, uh, what types of rules maybe the Federal Reserve should adopt, so monetary economics. Then we look at economic freedom, which includes things like fiscal policy, regulatory policy, studying you know, freedom and how to measure it. And then our third area is our newest called combating collectivism. And there we're looking at some of the most salient, the biggest risks and threats to freedom today. Um, and uh, you know, it's a lot of fun there. We do a lot of great work. We have a whole team of scholars uh, that work on these things. But one of the things that we have as a mission is talking to everyday Americans because too often scholars are just talking to each other. And so we make our work quite accessible. And that's why you can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. You can find us on TV and radio. It's great to be on your show to talk about us. Oh, thank you, brother. Uh, to let everybody know how they could find you on social media. What's the handle? Uh, at Will Ruger on Twitter, and uh, we'll be talking a lot about uh, freedom in the 50 states, uh, particularly the fact that, uh, you know, state freedom has been going up uh, over the last 10 years and talking about some of that about why and what's going on in the states compared to the federal government and Biden economics. All right, folks, again, the website is AIER.org for uh, the main organization. And if you want to go straight to this cool interactive map, check it out. Freedom in the 50 states.org. That's freedom in the 50 states.org. Give uh, Will Ruger a follow and uh, William Ruger. I want to thank you for being here. You're a gentleman, a scholar and a patriot, and we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. You bet. Folks, more to come straight ahead. All of your calls and more on open phone, America, any topic, Uh, Whatever you want to discuss, I'm happy to discuss it. It's a Friday night and the number 833-482-5337. Get those calls in now. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez and we're coming right back. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Happy Friday to you. Hour number three of the program, a, a time-honored tradition on this program known as Open Phone America, dubbed so by Larry King back in the days. He started that in 1978. That was the year I was born, and uh, that was a tradition continued by the late, great Jim Bohannon, and that's a tradition that we're going to continue, you all and me, this evening. Uh, the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And yesterday there was a story about the rapper and producer Puff Daddy, Sean Diddy Combs. And he was, um, it was alleged that he was involved in um, sex trafficking and all sorts of things, including a rape and a cover-up. And as luck would have it for him, that's all been cleared up. <laughs> That's it. Seems like they've come to a resolution just 24 hours after the rapper of uh, the singer Cassie uh, Cassandra Ventura filed a rape and abuse lawsuit against her former longtime boyfriend, Sean Combs. The singer and the producer ended the incendiary matter. Uh, here's a quote. I have decided to resolve this matter amicably on terms that I have some level of control. Uh, that's from Cassie in a statement uh, earlier today to the federal court uh, where she filed this. And uh, she said she wants to thank her family, fans, lawyers, and uh, for their unwavering support. Uh, the mega producer known as Puff Daddy, uh, a.k.a. Diddy, um, added briefly, we've decided to resolve this matter amicably. I wish Cassie and her family all the best and love. So look at that. Isn't it great when you have a big problem facing you? And uh, you can make it go away that quickly. That's fantastic. It's great to have money uh, if you're puffy, right? If you're not puffy, uh, Puff Daddy, then, um, you know, you get the Trump treatment, right? <laughs> Where you try to resolve a legal matter and whatnot, probably pay somebody off to make a problem go away so you continue your business. And then it's, you know, it's the end of the world, a la Stormy Daniels. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you because it was a, a story I had on my, on my desk from yesterday that I didn't get to. And when I went to look at it today... Voila, it was gone. It's been resolved. Now, there's a couple other stories I want to mention with you guys tonight. Of course, we've talked about a number of things. We talked about the craziness with the attack on the police and uh, the illegal immigration situation in New York. But that's something that's spanning across America. Uh, we've also uh, talked about the, the rise of anti-Semitism and anti-Americanism coming out of college campuses. And we also talked about the economy a little bit. And I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Uh, but. There was a couple of other stories here that I wanted to share. Uh, I think I mentioned this the other day, but again, the um, Trump uh, won his case where they were trying to throw him off the ballot. That's done. Um, and he's good. He will stay on the ballot. The 14th Amendment challenge uh, didn't fly. And here's another story that I did want to share with you. Stacey Abrams. Uh, do you remember her? Really attractive, very good-looking woman who ran for governor in Georgia. I'm kidding, by the way. Uh, she, uh, Her brother-in-law was arrested on human trafficking and battery charges. Uh, Florida officials say that uh, Jimmy Gardner engaged in sexual activity with a minor before assaulting her. Now, he's the brother-in-law of the former uh, gubernatorial candidate from Georgia, Stacey Abrams. Uh, she's a Democrat, and he has been arrested in Florida on charges of human trafficking, battery, and lewd or lascivious touching of a minor, according to the Office of the State Attorney General. Uh, here's a quote. Jimmy Gardner, a youth motivational speaker and brother-in-law of former Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, is facing 
serious charges of human trafficking and is currently in jail in Hillsborough County with no bond. Gardner's scheduled to face a judge in Tampa tomorrow. And uh, that was released a little bit earlier today. Uh, matter of fact, even though it's a brother-in-law, they kind of resemble each other like their hairstyle is very similar. Tampa police stated that the incident occurred early Friday morning at the Renaissance Hotel at International Plaza when 57-year-old Jimmy Gardner allegedly engaged in sexual acts with a 16-year-old girl. This guy's 57 years old. You do the math, that's 41 years. It's insane. Anyway, before assaulting her during an altercation, Gardner allegedly met the minor at 1.43 in the morning. Why wasn't that girl in her house? And invited her into his hotel room, which she accepted before offering to pay her for sex. The victim initially agreed, but later told Gardner that she no longer wanted to engage and he became angry. Gardner advised the victim that she needed to leave his hotel room. The two got into a verbal altercation that escalated into a physical dispute after Gardner placed his hands around the victim's neck, stopping her breathing. After the dispute, Gardner left the hotel room and she called 911. Now, um... Judge Leslie Abrams Gardner is this man's wife, as I understand it, according to this article here. Police say they found the victim at the scene when they arrived, but that Gardner had already left the hotel. He later turned himself into Tampa police and was charged with human trafficking, lewd and lascivious touching of certain minors and battery. According to the state attorney general, Gardner spent 25 years in prison for sexually assaulting two women in West Virginia in 1987, but was later exonerated. Uh, Again, Gardner is the husband of U.S. District Court Judge Leslie Abrams Gardner. She's Abrams' sister, uh, Stacey Abrams' sister, and she was appointed by former President Barack Obama back in 2014 and was unanimously confirmed by the Senate. Uh, They've made no comment on this as of now. But what a shame, huh? What a shame for the Gardner Abrams Abrams Gardner family. Uh, but that's uh, the headline right now coming out of uh, Fox News just uh, a couple hours ago. So let's see. Let's go to the phones. I know there's people that want to weigh in on this stuff. Let's go to Jim Las Cruces, New Mexico, K-O-B-E. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. How are you? Eric brother? Adams. Hi, pretty good. Eric Adams went to D.C. thinking his squeaky wheel will get the grease, but all he got was a simultaneous visit from Joe Biden's secret police. (laughs) That's great. You're a poet and you don't know it. Oh, Jim, that was really good. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to KOBE in New Mexico. Jim, always a pleasure. And, folks, we're going to get to the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. I see calls coming in from San Francisco, from Kansas, from Delaware, and more. We're going to get to you momentarily. Don't go anywhere. The phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. We're looking at a story right now. Listen to this. Bethlehem, birthplace of Jesus, to take down Christmas decorations in solidarity with our people in Gaza. That's uh, the headline. City officials in the birthplace of Jesus Christ are tearing down Christmas decorations in solidarity with Palestinians amid Israel's continued uh, battle with Gaza. Bethlehem, an ancient city located in the West Bank, declared via social media and their official spokesperson that the decorations installed in previous years are being removed uh, because of the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Isn't that something? So um, sounds like uh, doesn't matter if you're a terrorist, uh, we're, we're still going to side with them and not celebrate Christmas, which last I checked is the uh, ceremonial birthday of Jesus. In the city where Jesus was born. Absolute uh, lunacy, but, you know, who am I? Let's see what you have to say about that. Uh, let's go to Betsy. She's in Manhattan, Kansas on KMAN. Go right ahead, Betsy. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so I, I was calling about, you were talking about um, anti-Semitism on campus. Yes. And um, I know that um, when my daughter was in college around 2015, mm -hmm. uh, she was a political science major. And uh, in one of her upper-level classes uh, um, on foreign policy textbook, um, in the textbook, and it was a section on global terrorism, it was uh, kept going on about how um, terrorism was invented by the Jews, it said, and that terrorism was a tax tactic used by Jews and that there was no such thing as Islamic terrorism, et cetera. And, um, you know, she's like, well, who, what? You know, who wrote yeah, like how do, they, how do they reconcile that? But it is amazing, uh, Betsy, that this is how they teach things. I mean, I would never believe something like that just because I think terrorism will exist wherever there's a terrorist, whether you're Islamic or Christian or anything else, right? Uh, terrorism is when you terrorize people and use fear and intimidation to, to get your way. And clearly uh, that's happening and it happens all over the world by multiple people from multiple different backgrounds. So to say that it was just a, a construct of something that the Jews came up with is crazy to me and in and of itself very anti-Semitic. Well, sure. And, uh, well, she looked at the um, on the cover, it said that the book was from the Carnegie Council. But mm. when you looked at the publication page, the, the textbook would have actually been written by care. Huh. Unbelievable. I have not heard about this, and we'll try and find uh, some, some background on it. But fascinating story. Uh, if, in fact, that's how it plays out, I, I'd love to read more about it. Uh, it. It doesn't surprise me because I think that's their purpose. Um, earlier today, I was scrolling through social media, and somebody that was on this program as a guest a couple of weeks ago, Brigitte Gabriel, uh, I saw a video that she did where she was discussing how um, CARE and many other organizations, and she listed them all by name, uh, were all originally funded uh, by investment from the Muslim Brotherhood. 
And I, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood is not a religious organization per se. <laughs> they they are uh, sponsors of terror and whatnot. And and I just thought it was remarkable that, you know, I I didn't know that. I knew that you know they they were sympathetic to these other causes, but I didn't know they were directly created by these groups, uh, kind of as a, a mouthpiece for them. So it doesn't surprise me in the least. But what what is uh, very disappointing is that this stuff is making its way into a school, and if a any other organization, I got to say, um, that would have a particular agenda were to create a textbook, um, I'm pretty sure it, w- it probably wouldn't see the light of day unless they agreed with exactly uh, the, the premise of it. So, yeah, very unfortunate. I hope your daughter's done with college, Betsy. Oh, yeah. Well, and what the good thing was, too, that the whole class was appalled <laughs> Great. at the lies. And, and uh, so that was awesome. So. And I guess they stood up. Did they get any resolution? Did they stop using the textbook or did somebody get in trouble? No, no, but they just, you know, let it be known that this was anti-Semitism and uh, um, it was, shouldn't have been used. And, and they spoke their mind. And she too that a geography book and a philosophy book also had been written by Care. So wow. that was pretty bad. That, that blows me away. It honestly does. Uh, now, where is Manhattan, Kansas? Is that near Wichita? No, it's um, on... Near Topeka, it, it's you know off state of I seventy. Yeah, it. the state capital, and then Lawrence, and then Kansas City. If you keep heading east, fantastic. Well, thank you for uh, calling the show. I appreciate it. Call back anytime. Happy to chat with you. And a big shout out to Betsy from Manhattan, Kansas, listening on KMAN. Uh, we continue with your calls straight ahead. Uh, well, we got time. Let's go to. David, David's uh, in San Francisco. Sorry to hear that, but all, it's probably clean because of the APAC summit. Uh, listening online, Rich Valdez, com. David, go right ahead. Well, it's finally calm around here. There were helicopters flying overhead for hours, day and night. It's pretty miserable. <clears throat> but, um, uh, yeah, it's back to normal, I think. Um you know, I uh, was paying attention to, uh, I think it was a, an Arizona radio show a little bit ago, and Donald Trump's people are, you know, he's lost his business license in New York State, right? No, so I didn't know that. I think that's on the table, but I don't think that's been adjudicated yet. Oh, it's been uh, it's been determined. What they're uh, what they're trying to work out is how much he's going to have to pay. The statutory limit is a quarter of a billion dollars. Uh, I saw that, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that there was a a decision that came down from uh, the appellate court saying that they could not kick him out from doing business in New York. But uh, I'll research that. But either way, go make your point. It was put on stay uh, for partial reasons, but uh, the. He he has been basically convicted of fraud out there. It's just how much is what they're working out. But what I what they were worried about in Arizona is his people are trying to sell uh, Trump's properties while this status of uh, uh, in other words, if you get suckered into buying something from Donald Trump in in his New York uh, holdings. Uh, you basically are going to be suckered into buying a pig in a poke, let's say, uh, that you are going to be considered organized crime. You get your whole uh, you're, you're basically acting like a fence buying some of his stuff. 
And um, it, it's interesting. Actually, I, I wasn't aware that uh, it was Colorado, uh, the the state that was trying to take him off the ballot. And yeah. that was the ruling that came in today. Mm-hmm. But there are 31 other states, 31 other states that are trying to do it. And I was just looking at a, a news article about it while the, in the intermission there. And, and it says here that the judge did see that he did commit an insurrection. Uh, the court concludes that Trump incited an insurrection on January 6th and therefore engaged in an insurrection within the meaning of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, Judge Wallace wrote. But Wallace ultimately sided with a legal theory put forth uh, basically claiming that uh, Trump is not an officer of the United States. Well, that's that's some hokum. We've got the uh, three parts of government, the judiciary, the legislative and the executive. And the president is an officer in the executive branch. Of course. I mean, I I don't know what you're referencing. I'd have to take a look at it. Uh, All I know is that uh, Johnson had the the courage and Trump commended him for it. Um, um, Excuse me, the judge for for making this decision. But. I I I didn't hear the the judge's commentary, and I haven't read that that ruling just yet, so I couldn't really give you a, a comment on it. But I do know they had the one case in I think it was Minnesota, and then they had the the case in Colorado, and so far he's um, he's prevailed on both. So it, you know I feel like oftentimes when you get cases like this, and it's a guy like Trump, and I honestly don't know if there's another person like Trump out there that people are super fanatical over. Uh, or hate him incredibly. But um, I think ultimately the judge has to do what's right. And oftentimes they'll throw in a little caveat or uh, a little editorial uh, to try to soften the blow for those that may not like the ruling. But ultimately, if, if he was guilty of something, they would have kicked him off the ballot. And he's on the ballot. But that's my take. Anyway, thank you, David. I appreciate it. Godspeed to you. We're coming right back with your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Uh, we just spoke with David in uh, San Francisco, uh, faithful caller to the program. And David, if you're listening, I had a chance to take a look at the ruling in brief. It's 102 pages. I didn't get to see everything. Uh, but the uh, the political sleight of hand that happened here, again, is, is uh, it's what you see in Washington typically. <laughs> but I'll explain it to you very quickly, right? So there's, you know, 75 paragraphs here about how what Section 3 of the uh, of the uh, what 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 it's called the insurrection. I mean, hang on. Don't go anywhere. The 14th Amendment. Right. Section three of the 14th Amendment. And uh, based on that, the, the judge goes on and on multiple times saying that Trump has consistently endorsed po- political violence, uh, intimidation as a legitimate means of political expression. Um, 
Um, blah, 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 blah. She goes on on that. This is her opinion. This is not a matter of fact. And it honestly has nothing to do with the ruling because she didn't, she ruled in his favor. And as she made this whole soliloquy about, you know, what the standard was and how, what, in her opinion, what was, uh, meeting the standard for all of these things. Uh, but ultimately it came down to what you were saying. And uh, I didn't understand what you were saying as he's not an officer. The, the, the language is that, Anybody holding an office under the United States is how it's written. Um, the presidency is not an office under the United States. It is, in effect, according to the Constitution, the executive branch. And it's a branch with one member. The vice president is not the executive branch, nor is any cabinet secretary. There's only one person that is a constitutional officer that is the executive branch. And that is the president of the United States. So when they wrote this 14th Amendment, uh, which she was using as the standard, which is what the case was brought on, the case was saying under the 14th Amendment, Trump did this and he can't be on the ballot. And she goes on a tirade explaining why she believes in her estimation as an officer of the court uh, and her opinion. And that's what judges do. They write opinions. In her opinion, he violated the 14th Amendment based on the standard as it was written, Trump's lawyers countered and said, excuse me, if the 14th Amendment were written to include the executive branch, the office of the presidency, uh, then it would not have been written by the framers or the drafters of the Constitution as an office under the United States. And the judge agreed. And that's exactly why, that's exactly why he won the case. And so it's, it's very rich, if you will, that they will go ahead and, um, you know, give him the win that he rightfully deserves, but they'll do it holding their nose and throwing as much mud as they can. So the, um, the interpretation of the word office, uh, the judge felt that this was a, a broad interpretation of the word office uh, used as a kind of catch-all clause, and it, in effect, did not uh, meet the standard of what was meant in the Constitution in the 14th Amendment. So a little bit of a complicated explanation, uh, but uh, when you said officer, I, I wasn't quite sure what you were saying. Now I understand the context of your statement, and uh, now you have my response as well, that under the Constitution, Trump can do what he did, and he qualifies to run for president. Under the judge's opinion, he's guilty of sin, and he caused an insurrection. The interesting thing is that a man that's under four indictments and not a single charge for inciting an insurrection. Isn't that interesting? The Department of Justice has not charged him. The New York State Attorney General's Office has not charged him. The state of Georgia attorney uh, or a city pro county prosecutor has not charged him with that. Uh, nor has, where's that other case? You got Fannie Willis, uh, Georgia, New York. Anybody? Bueller? But isn't there a fourth uh, jurisdiction or no? Yeah, there is. There's one more. Because it's Jack Smith, Fannie Willis. Uh, oh, it's the two. You're right. Two in New York. It's the city one and the state one. Letitia James and Alvin Bragg. Right. So those are the four prosecutors that brought this case. Uh, any of these cases. And not a single one of them. Not a single one has brought a case for insurrection. Um, they're not even alleging it. And he's not going to be found guilty of it because they haven't charged him with it. So. I mean, that may come at a later time, but I doubt it. 
I think there's some rumor that they may try to charge him with seditious conspiracy, which seems like an uh, an awful stretch. But that would be a Jack Smith thing, and that's what he kind of specializes in is broad charges that won't stick on appeal and that will get overturned. And I don't think they care. They just want to be able to say, like, you know, for for people like David, so that they could say, hey, you know, Trump was the judge said he did the insurrection and Jack Smith indicted him for it. And he got a win. And even if it gets reversed, that's the headline. That's the New York Times. That's CNBC, MSNBC, CNN and all the rest of them saying, you know, Trump, in fact, was found guilty today for insurrection. Then you make the campaign ads and then you go straight into November with those uh, because he'll never get it overturned in time, but I'm sure he'll get it overturned because it doesn't meet the legal standard. Just like the judge today couldn't find him guilty because it didn't meet the legal standard. And they're trying to contort everything they can to make it meet the standard or to at least create the appearance that he did something wrong, even if it's in their own opinion. But anyway, that's that. Uh, let's continue. Where do we go from here? We go to Cleveland, Ohio. W-E-O-L. Steve, go right ahead. Hey, easy listening. How are you, Rich? My man. How are you, brother? Good. Hey, um, I guess, uh, well, you were kind of hitting on what I was going to kind of mention and wanted to tie something else in there, but um, Trump wanting a mistrial and how Nikki Haley and Christy Cream, um, <laughs> they keep talking and they get away with things. How do they do that? And Trump is sitting there looking at some judge that looks like he just took his clown face off. And uh, on top of that, they cleaned San Francisco up in a few days. And I call him gruesome Newsome. <laughs> and um, he, he can't play basketball with a 10 year old Chinese kid, but it looks like Biden's, um, they're all bought out. But. My father was a Marine in World War II, radar, and, you know, sergeant, staff sergeant, Okinawa. And the Thanks Marines for his service. were holding, yeah, and the Marines were holding Chinese flags when Xi Jinping was entering a room when 400 people, uh, Cook and all the other brass heads from San Francisco, uh, gets a standing ovation. I, I, I didn't see the Marines. Um, I, I saw them posted up, but I, I didn't see who was holding them. I'm not sure who, who it was or if they were just like on flagpoles or whatnot. Uh, but I, I'll definitely look into that. With respect to the mistrial, Trump requested it and he should get it. Um, his argument is similar to the one that they made against him. His constitutional rights are being infringed and because he, he doesn't have a right to um, um, a, a fair trial. Uh, because of the judge's bias, uh, biases, uh, not only his, uh, um, mainly, principally, the Attorney General Letitia James, and because of her lie, right? Because she did lie. He caught her in a lie when she said, look, I didn't run to, to defeat Trump, uh, to put to prosecute Trump. And then she's on tape uh, on multiple occasions saying, you know, I'm running to, to get, we're going to get Donald Trump. <laughs> so it, it's quite contradictory. And I think um, when he presents it to a, any serious judge, they would they would likely agree that there's a bias there. Uh, I think the problem is that this is not a criminal matter. Right. So there'll never be a conviction here. David said, you know, he's already been convicted. Um, that's not entirely accurate. It won't be a conviction. This is a civil trial with a charge of fraud. And the judge is is the jury. So 
that's how he's going to decide and he's he's going to do what he wants the the question is you know how much is he going to get away with now i think it's clear that the judge is biased and there's a lot of um, uh, media information out there a lot of news uh, indicating that the judge is biased uh, the problem that the judge faces, just like with the gag order and everything else, he, he can talk the talk, but he can't really crack the whip. Uh, and that's why you see Trump hasn't been put in jail or anything, because he's allowed to talk and you can't create these broad things. You can create them, but it doesn't mean they're going to work. And that's what they tried with this case in Colorado as well as a very broad interpretation of, of office that they tried to make work and it doesn't work. And I think they're trying to do the same thing in that scenario. But either way, I think the, tr- the judge and in New York, he will um, not um, do the right thing. And Trump's going to have to just keep going down the, the you know, the pipe there with uh, with that particular legal case. As for Governor Chris Christie and Nikki Haley, I don't know. I think Nikki Haley is trying to become president, uh, if not now, maybe next time. And and I think some of her approach, much of it at this point is probably inaccurate and it's not going to work It'll probably black uh, backfire and hurt her in the long run. And as for Governor Christie, I think Governor Christie is just uh, aligned with people that are the anti-Trump vote, making sure that he gets the donations that he needs so he can continue to participate in the debates. Um, I don't think that they're looking at the numbers as much and I don't think his numbers are growing but uh, those are my thoughts on that. Steve, I appreciate the call. I got to take a quick pause right here. We're coming right back. Your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So earlier, Joe Biden said that Americans have a 37 percent increase in median household income. Now, again, this is a talking point of his because he's able to say that because during the Trump administration, it was something like seventy five hundred dollars and had gone down drastically under Biden. So even if you go up to, you know, just a little bit more than it was 
at the bottom of the Biden uh, economic cycle, he can say, oh, look, we've had all this percentage of increase, but it's still not where it was in the previous administration. So uh, keep that in mind when you hear Biden saying these things. But let's continue with your calls. Let's go to Doc Wilmington, Delaware, W-D-E-L. Go right ahead. Yeah, Rich, I want to talk about something, my, my own personal travails under the Biden economy. Um, I'm, I'm on limited income. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a vet, but I don't, I don't claim any disability. I was never disabled. Okay. I'm, I'm on Social Security, a uh, pension from an auto company, and um, that's about it. Okay, and I, and I work a small job in an open-air open air food market here in our college town. We pronounce it Newark, not Newark, Delaware. Okay, yeah. here's, the, here's, the, here's the deal. Um, all of our vendors in our market have had to raise prices because their prices for feed and fertilizer are going through the roof. When I go to the supermarket, I don't even have a car. That's how low income I am. When I go to the supermarket, the prices I pay at the supermarket have gone through the roof under Biden. Under President Trump, that was not the case. I was so much better off under President Trump than I am under President Biden. It wasn't even it wasn't even wasn't even funny, Rich. And this is the reason why one of the reasons why I think in my own gut, the big boys that behind the scenes try to run this country. I said try to run this country. Want want Trump out. They know if he gets in, he's going to drain the swamp. They know he's going to clean this country up. And they don't want that to happen. They want they want to have us all under their thumb, and they want us to remain poor, and vote Democratic and vote for the for the police state that is Biden. Biden. I like your thoughts, sir. You know, Doc, I was at a party before I um, got on the air. I stopped by to say hello, old friend of mine from high school, Tammy, and um, big shout out to Tammy and her family. Happy birthday, Tammy! And uh, I met a young woman there and her husband. And we were talking about, and she's like, I just don't understand why they hate Trump, Hispanic woman. And, and, and we were, and she said, you know, she's like, I feel like it's because those guys are all crooks. And when Trump got there, he wasn't a crook and was like, why are you ripping people off when you could rip them off somewhere else? Why you got to rip them off through taxpayer dollars? And this was her assessment uh, that, you know, politicians on both sides were, were crooked. And that Trump wasn't into that scene, that he had a different way of making money. And uh, and I agreed in large part. I said, yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, Trump didn't come to Washington to make money. Uh, if you look at think of the last three, four presidents, everybody went in with X amount and came out with a lot more than X, except for Trump, whose who's, uh, median household income, is, his entire fortune, uh, went down by a billion, 1.2 billion, something like that. He lost a lot of money in those four years. So the question becomes... Um, why they hate him so much. Obviously, he, he gets in the way. He's throwing a, a wrench in in their uh, system. And it's exactly what you're talking about. I think there is a, a persistent move to continue doing things the way we've done them, right? If you look at, at, at the status quo of Biden, he's only trying to improve the economy right now because he's under fire for the economy. But he knew this would happen. And, and this is, you know, very typical of people in Washington that typically say something like, but Mr. President, if you do that, you, there's going to be a backlash. People are going to pay more in taxes. You're going to have to raise taxes. It's going to the spending could trigger inflation. Oh, don't worry about that. Right. This is the approach they take. No, oh, by Election Day, they'll forget about it. We'll send out this. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll tell them it's up 37 percent and we'll be doing great. And I think this is why we have the problem we have. So, Doc, I feel for you. I'm in the same boat as you. 
Um, everything costs me a lot more, too. I think most Americans are. And that's why when he comes out with these Bidenomics is working types of sales pitches, I don't think it's going to be very effective come Election Day. Anyway, Doc, thanks for the call. Big shout out to WDEL. Your calls and more straight ahead in the speed round. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's get to the phones. Let's go to Linda, Albany, New York, WGDJ. Go right ahead. Well, thanks for um, taking my call, and thanks for the great speakers, guests you had tonight. Um, I wanted to mention that community watches, we had a quite a drug problem in our area at one point, and an organized community watch, part of it, people got out um two to three people at a time, just walked around the area at, at various times, which uh, had helped. But uh, I think there needs to be more community watches established to help get rid of some of this crime stuff. And thanks again, Rich, for your program. Oh, you're welcome, Linda. And I agree with you. I think I think the entire country needs to become a neighborhood watch. We've got problems with fentanyl. We've got problems with the border that's spilling into every city across the country. And people need to become more vigilant and take things. I don't mean in a violent way. I mean, take things into your own hand. Contact your congressman. Get out there. Get rid of these bad candidates. Get some new candidates. It's critical that we um, we stick together as a country. Um, Frank in Evergreen, Montana, quickly. Hi. Yes, the origin of the word ghetto goes put it back to Italy in the times when they were smelting copper. It was meant gate around that area. The original ghetto blasters, of course, were the, the furnaces. And now the, the Pope wants to have copper uh, to have electric cars of the future. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Electric cars... With the origin of the word ghetto. I love that juxtaposition. Frank in Evergreen, Montana. Thanks for the call, my man. America, take care. Good night and God bless. I'll be back on Monday. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.